0: Tom Boger. I run product marketing for the iPad and the Mac.
1: Tim Malay, and I manage the platform architecture team at Apple.
2: I figure at some point, a few years ago, a decision was made that you were gonna bring Apple Silicon to the Mac, but not just like the ultra low power Macs, like the Air. I think the ones that everybody figured you would, but the ultra high performance Macs, including these new pros, what went through your heads at that moment?
1: Maybe my first thoughts were, wow, this is going to be a really interesting, exciting challenge for me and obviously for the for the team uh, that I'm here representing. We knew that we had a lot of great fundamental building blocks in the, in the Apple Silicon we were building for our iOS products. But the Mac is a very different beast, especially our Pro Macs, uh, which is what this recent launch was all about. And so for that, we knew that the challenge wasn't to reinvent those fundamental building blocks, because those were in in a great place. It was really to figure out how to scale them up, reconnect them, sort of take apart the iOS-based solution, and really take those fundamental building blocks, put them back together in a way that was going to deliver the awesome performance that we were able to achieve with M1 Pro and M1 Max.
0: I was just tremendously excited. I knew what Apple Silicon could do. We obviously we're already demonstrating that with our you know most compact and affordable systems and i could not wait to bring the the groundbreaking architecture of apple silicon to our higher end pro products because i knew it would be profound i knew that it would completely change the game for our users and just allow them to do things that they quite Honestly, couldn't do before, and and I just couldn't wait. I'm tremendously excited.
2: I've been using the new Mac Pro since just after you announced it, and it's been, personally, the biggest breakthrough in traditional portable computing since that famous second-generation MacBook Air, but at the opposite end of the spectrum. And I've been doing workloads that used to routinely, consistently just thrash my old i9 MacBook Pro, turn it into this laboring blast furnace with fans as loud as a helicarrier. And the new M1 Max, it just stays utterly, almost eerily silent. And I'm throwing everything I can at it, 4K video, a bunch of gnarly Canon codecs, processing audio, thumbnails, running electron apps. And I did that for 10 hours straight yesterday on battery. And I had 40% left in the tank when I had to quit. And I know, Tom, when you said that Apple Silicon would let you make Max that you just weren't able to do before, that weren't possible before, I think now that you were underselling how transformative it would be.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty incredible when, when you use these systems. And, and what I find most interesting is that we've been taught as users for many, many years that, you know, you can't expect to have great performance without the fans going on. You can't expect to have great performance when you're doing pro workloads when you're on battery, uh, and now, in an instant, you can. It's so fun to watch. You know all the videos that people are posting where they're trying this and trying that, and their mind is just blown about what they can do. They they you know jump out of their chair and and literally can't believe what they're seeing. That is so fun for us here at Apple. Um, you know that 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 kind of reaction and that kind of just experience that we're giving people is why we come to work every day and work as hard as we do. And and we love it. And we love the Mac. And so we're experiencing the same thing. We're doing things on our Macs that we can't believe we can do. and And it's just really, really exciting time.
2: Intel and AMD have forever been trying to cram these big thirsty server and PC tower parts into laptops, trying to scale them down to fit those much more constrained power and thermal envelopes, like trying to push a river through a very high pressure hose. But you all started with the iPad and iPhone, and it seems very deliberately that you've let efficiency drive performance. Can you talk a little bit about your famous slow, low, wide approach, what it is maybe first, but also what it means when you now have the envelope the size of a New MacBook Pro to let it run in?
1: This journey started for me back uh, for the original iPhone. So I've been working on every chip that's gone in every iOS product uh, from, from the first iPhone. And you're right. that point, it was about how can we make this device more performant than anybody imagines it possibly could be? It was about delivering a level of performance that was surprising. And because you had a touch-based UI in those systems, you had no error bar there, really. If there's a laggy experience with a touch-based thing on an iPad or an iPhone, the user notices it, and the magic disappears. And so, this this is where the foundation of the obsession with delivering performance within the constraints of these ridiculously small devices uh, came from. And over the years, we had a lot of energy. We have uh, we grew our team. We we established uh, some foundational architectural principles. And energy efficiency was was always that that piece. We we don't ever talk about performance without also talking about the energy that goes into that delivering that performance. So. When we did get to the point where the fundamental building blocks, our CPUs, our GPUs, our neural engines were reaching the performance levels, they were competitive. This is when this discussion around the Mac became super interesting. And, you know, as we do with every product, uh, this did not come about because we said, hey, let's, let's build a chip idea and go pitch it to the Mac team and see what they think. This was, hey, let's all get together and build an amazing Apple product. We built a chip, of course, but we did it within the, within the requirements, within the constraints of these amazing new platforms. And they built it together. I kind of like to think that the new uh, MacBook Pros, the 16 and 14 inches, they're kind of gently hugging these chips. Like they're embracing them. They're built right in. They were not some part that we built and then had to wonder what the enclosure was going to be like. We built them very in a very targeted way. And like you started to say, efficiency delivers performance. Well, because the fundamental building blocks had that potential performance... We're finding ourselves delivering amazing performance inside these new devices. And you know, you don't hear the fans go up because two things. It's a it's a wonderful mechanical product design with amazing, you know, amazing engineers doing that work. Plus, the chip, all CPUs maxed out, reaches a max power of around 30 watts. you saw that in the in the keynote slide. Well, 30 watts is, is not gonna make the fans move. So you can beat it up all you want with the CPUs. It's just not gonna do anything. But that's not the only engine. We know we 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 put a huge GPU. Our memory system is is beyond belief in these systems and so you know why why is it harder to come the other direction absolutely and why because they were designing without those really
0: fundamental constraints that we had to uh, design to in the phone and the pad these new map pros they're the ultimate expression of something that we've said at apple for many many years and that is we build the whole widget right and in this case right down to the silicon and so to be designing something from the ground up where the architecture team is working on silicon specifically for these products and and, and no others, this is you know, unheard of in the industry. And uh, it's one of the reasons why these are just such game-changing products.
2: You have spoken before about your scalable architecture and how you now have an S7 based on an A13 e-core in the watch. You have A15 in the iPhone and iPad mini. M1 and now M1 Pro and Max and the Mac. And that's like three generations of IP across four product lines and maybe five distinct SOC scales. But you're scaling this architecture from like four P cores and four or five graphics cores on an iPhone up to eight P cores and a ridiculous 32 graphics cores and 64 gigabytes of RAM on the M1 Max. But I also know that you and the team aren't just out there with like hot glue guns, pressing all those new extra cores onto the die. What were the challenges in actually keeping all those cores fed, those pipelines full, but still scaling up ProSilicon for all the pro workloads that, you know, Tom knew you had to deliver?
1: It's great that you mentioned the pro workloads because that was sort of our fundamental motivation. When we were trying to figure out how to set the targets for this chip, you can imagine that, that it's a wide range. We wanted to uh, uh, figure out how, with the tools we had, to max out these, these new enclosures, so it started with those pro workloads. We work closely with the Mac Pro workload team. We work closely with the product designers to make sure we understood from, you know, you know, from, a, from a strategy of I.O., let's make sure we have the right I.O. strategy around these chips. That's a big difference on these chips. You know, we don't have the ability to drive three plus one displays in any of the other chips. We had to go figure out that story. The scalability, getting from where we were in M1 even, to where we are in M1 Pro and M1 Max was a fundamental re-architecture of what we call the fabric, the interconnect, through which all of these different cores connect together. And the big challenge around unified memory at this scale, because nobody's ever built this, There are unified memory examples all over the place. Every iOS system is a unified memory. Nobody has built unified memory at this scale. You talked about that 64 gigabytes. Well, along with that goes a 400 gigabyte per second memory system. And so why do we need such a crazy memory system on a computer like this? You need it because that's the only thing that's going to keep that GPU fed. High-end GPUs that operate in this class they have memory systems this big. We knew we were going to need something like that if we were going to compete with the discrete GPUs that go in these pro laptops. On the CPU side, the other thing that's critical, CPUs care about latency more than anything else. Uh, So we had to figure out how to deliver that bandwidth to the GPU, low latency to the CPU. But what falls out is incredible. And uh, you heard us talk about uh, this in some of our uh, previous briefings. You end up with A high-capacity unified memory system because the CPU needs that depth. It needs that 64 gigabytes. Uh, Pro users need the extra capacity. But never before has a GPU been able to get that much access to such a high-capacity memory system at that high bandwidth that it needs. And never before has a CPU cluster gotten access to such a high-bandwidth memory system before. I mean, it it really is an interesting side effect of this, the way we built the machines. And it was very intentional because, you know, the GPU needs the bandwidth, the, G- the CPU needs the capacity. It also needs low latency. And so the constraints are there. It's all over the place. And putting it all together was a completely, a complete new redesign of the interconnect, the fabric and memory system uh, from, from the M1, for example.
0: And, you know, that re-architecture of the chip with the, tremendous bandwidth and low latency of the unified memory architecture, it literally allows people to do things they couldn't do before. PC laptops, they top out at 16 gigabytes of, of memory. You heard Jules from Otoy talk about there's never been any hardware that allows a GPU access to 64 gigs. And so when Truthy was talking about that topic, there was a scene behind her on the slide, which is a model that our Pro Workflow team created in Octane that has 137 million triangles. It requires nearly 35 gigabytes of video memory. And on a 16-inch MacBook Pro with M1 Max, you can interact with it fast and fluidly, even in HDR. So it's an HDR asset. And so you can see HDR on that amazing screen. And uh, it is literally a workload and a workflow that was not possible before on a laptop. And oh, by the way, you can do all that in battery which is just incredible.
2: You both mentioned the pro workflow team. um, And for people who aren't familiar with them, you have essentially world famous award-winning 3D artists and filmmakers and audio engineers, just the best of the best people from Pixar, ILM, any place you can think of with high, like super user people there. What does it mean for you and your teams to have sort of the pros of the pros hitting all this stuff, not after you release it, but like during the whole design period? Oh, it's, it's fundamental to, to
1: how we build things at Apple. As a person who's been building chips for a little more than 30 years now, doing that at Apple provides a level of focus that most folks who do what I do don't have. You know, I like to say that my team never has to guess. We never have to guess what software is going to run. They never have to guess what enclosure that we're going to be building into. We have certainty. It means that we can be really efficient in, in our in our focus. We can target things in particular, and know that we don't have to target other things. And when we make a decision, it's made years before it gets into the product's hands, which hopefully in the end, and I believe that's true, folks, when they get these products and they open them up, they they really appreciate the consideration, the choices, the, the intent Was there? There's no surprises. Things work the way they're supposed to work. And we don't leave anything on the table. We try to make sure that when we're building these chips, we're using every transistor with intent, with purpose. We're not wasting transistors guessing whether something's going to be useful or not. And because of the way we work with our partner teams across Apple, we don't have to guess. We know.
2: It's your job every year to deliver the absolute best, formerly iOS, now iOS and macOS and app performance on the planet given the limits of time and the thermal envelope of the enclosure and schedules and industrial design can change a little bit but physics like silicon is totally unforgiving. So it seems to me we're seeing some of the hard limits to just goosing frequency and ramping up voltage in the industry but Apple seems to be increasingly focusing beyond just the big compute engines. Like you've basically, this still blows my mind. You've basically taken a 2019 Mac Pro with Afterburner and Pro Display XDR and you've shoved it a fairly mid to high end version of that Mac Pro into the new MacBook Pro. And I know that's the definition of non-trivial, even beyond the big media engines, you're doing just a ton of work on performance and storage controllers, display engines, the fabric you mentioned. So I guess what I'm asking you is when you talk about your transistor budgets these days, cores versus other features, how and, and what do you choose to spend it on? What sort of guides you to let you put all of that into this?
1: I think there is absolutely a lot uh, to be said about things like Afterburn. That's a great example about ProRes. ProRes acceleration. You know, why why bother putting that down? You could run that on the CPU. And again, this goes back to, we knew through our Pro Workload team that this was going to be a super valuable thing to accelerate. And so when we look at something like ProRes, why would we go accelerate it? What are the reasons you would do that? And it always comes down to two fundamental reasons. One of them is you have a constrained enclosure and you know that through doing what we call a fixed function approach to something like a video codec like ProRes, is going to allow you to do things that have significantly reduced energy. You save a lot by doing that. And so from an efficiency perspective, it's always a big win. The second thing that falls out, though, is you get a big performance bump. You know, was it necessary to do that? Was it necessary to achieve the performance? And when we do the math on looking at our amazing GPU and our CPU, the answer is probably no. We probably didn't need to uh, do do the dedicated work. But when we looked at the energy equation, we said, you know what? we don't want pro users to have to worry about being plugged in when they're doing some of this work. We want to be able to do this work at an energy level that's a more aligned. And so when we do that trade-off, we look at the investment in silicon. And the third piece that sort of contributed to that amazing ability to kind of outperform the the Mac Pro, the old Mac Pro with the Afterburner card, it goes back to your questions around SoC and, and the unified memory. We built those engines that went into the Afterburner card. We, we built the, we, we customized those engines, those ProRes engines. When we moved them and integrated them into the SoC, you saw dramatic improvements. And that's because you moved them closer to the memory system. You got them closer to this shared 400 gigabyte per second memory system, and that makes all the difference for this kind of a, a workload. So it was a win-win-win, and, and and those are the easiest things for us to go and and make our, our judgment call. And again, we sit down with our marketing team, with Tom's team, we sit down with the Pro Workloads team, and obviously we sit down with you know my boss Johnny Strugi, who you all saw in the in the keynote. You know when he sees a, a story like that, it's a pretty easy decision. We say, yeah, we're going to
0: go do that. And The other benefit for integrating uh, things like the ProRes accelerators is it offloads that that task from the CPU and GPU, so they can do other things. We said it in the keynote, this is one of the huge advantages that we have uh, in designing our own silicon specifically for our systems.
2: For me, one of the biggest changes is yes, your ProRes rendering, it's like 10 times faster for me now, more than that. you know, It's giving me large chunks of my, of my life back, but it's every little thing is faster. When I pull an effect, it doesn't wait a few seconds every time. When I switch apps, it doesn't wait a few seconds. It's all those seconds off of all those minutes that's effectively giving me a large part of my life back and I think for pro users, that's an indescribable feeling.
0: It's also unleashing you from being in a specific place, right, to be plugged in. You, you're getting that incredible performance and that incredible capabilities on the go, on battery. And I keep coming back to that because if you're not familiar with pro uh, workloads and these kind of applications and, and ways in which our, our users use these systems, you don't realize that. You know, a lot of people who aren't working on pro things, they don't realize that, well, in this space, you really have to be plugged in. That's not true anymore. Right. Um, You know, we literally, quote unquote, unleash people from being, you know, chained to being at a desk, plugged in because creativity strikes our users anywhere and everywhere. Could be on a train, uh, at a cafe, uh, in a park. Uh, a photographer who's uh, in a tent because they're shooting on location uh, could be in the back of a taxi cab. And so literally, I mean, that happens. And so, you know, we want to make sure that people can have this amazing experience wherever they are.
2: And now that whole unleashed tagline makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> I say this only semi in jest, but about the only complaint I've seen so far is that people no longer get a free space heater with every Mac. Your coffee doesn't stay warm. Your cat doesn't come over and cuddle. You have to buy a separate warm blanket if, you like me, you live in Canada. That's a big change, too, because it is, like I said, eerily quiet, eerily cool, and utterly responsive all the time. And I can't imagine how many little things go into making that big of a difference. But it's it's really impressive when you take it together.
1: You know, I like to tell this story to, to folks on my team. You know, when I worked at other places in Silicon Valley building chips— the way things started is you'd build the chip and then you go figure out how to put it on a motherboard and then you go figure out how to put an enclosure around it. And then somebody figured out how to build fans big enough to keep the thing cool. And then some software showed up And I mean, this is how systems conventionally have gotten built. Apple is completely upside down. And, and, you know, in my first few years, it took me a little time to figure it out. We start with a a work of art imagined by our industrial design team, followed by the the best mechanical product designers in the world trying to figure out if such a work of art can be built with materials known to man. And then the electronics team gets their budget. Uh, The software team chimes in about requirements. And the people, the lowly silicon people at the bottom (laughs) are handed this sort of, hey, We need you to go off and figure out how to build a chip that allows this to be amazing. And frankly, this is some of the best constraints that that a chip developer could ever have. We are in a great position because of those constraints to build that experience that you talked about, that things that sort of life-changing experience for these products. And that's in the end what it's about. It's about not just silicon to kind of prove how amazing we are. It's silicon in service of delivering product and and delivering life-changing experiences. And it could not have been done at a place uh, that isn't, didn't have that Apple culture. Uh, we couldn't have done this breakthrough innovation with these new MacBook Pros if we hadn't started with those fundamental constraints that led us to build silicon the way we do.
2: I mentioned the MacBook Air. Like, that was a big revolution for me last time, but that just got so widely copied. That became the template for every Ultrabook. I don't know how you copy this. I don't know what anybody else does in the industry because you're not a merchant silicon vendor. You don't have profit and loss per chip you don't have to worry about maximizing shelf life to recoup you know the cost of engineering these chips you, you are, your silicon team is probably the only one in the industry that is really just let loose to run generation after generation, year after year. Let loose, uh, you
1: know, you've, you've, you've met my boss, Johnny Struge. He is a very disciplined guy. And from my perspective, I think that's the other really important constraint that, that really drives this organization is that focus, that discipline. Never waste a transistor. You know, even if we're not trying to make margin on that transistor, that's okay. Why are you, why are you putting a transistor down that you didn't need to?
2: Tom, I wanna ask you a little bit about gaming because it comes up a lot and not just Shadow of the Tomb Raider benchmarks. Obviously a ton of people at Apple are hardcore gamers. The iPhone and iPad are huge gaming platforms. You have Apple Arcade, there's Catalyst, there's Metal. But for people who think that maybe Apple doesn't get gaming or doesn't care about it, what's your current take on gaming on the Mac? Specifically, maybe these new MacBook
0: Pros. We obviously definitely care about gaming. You know, from Apple Arcade and you know all of the great games that are on our various platforms. You know, these systems make great gaming uh, a great gaming platform, and we're excited about opportunities for developers to have great games on the Mac and, and bring great great games to the Mac. Just like they, with Pro uh, workloads, from a gaming standpoint, they're you know, systems that you just can't find anywhere else. And they're unlike any other any other notebook. And so we we think that this is going to be a great opportunity for developers to bring games to the Mac.
2: So like, from my point of view, just lobby your favorite studios. Just tell these your studios what these things can do, and then demand that they bring all their games to them. Sounds good. Are there any little implementation details, small things maybe that turned out better than you expected, or that you're just especially pleased or proud of? Like, personal favorite things when it comes to the M1 Pro and the M1 Max?
1: I gained great satisfaction out of our ability to predict many years ago. And as you can imagine, this has been a long journey. We don't Apple doesn't just uh, turn the whole Mac product line on a, on a dime, and it doesn't do it very often. Frankly, I think going backward in time, it really wasn't a priority for us. Right? Like we didn't. We, we didn't. We didn't say, "Oh, someday we're going to take the Mac." We had a great product line. Intel was a great partner for the Mac transition as we went from PowerPC into Intel. We built fantastic Macs. I think we're proud of every Mac we've ever built. But really, what I think I'm most proud of is is when we realized there was an opportunity to do something very interesting here. Uh, and we made our predictions about what we could deliver the team and the collective team not just my team but the broader uh, silicon team at apple was able to execute on that on that vision and deliver something that really was in the end aligned with the predictions that we made to the company to to my boss to to the executive team at apple so that they had that they had faith in us and we were able to deliver on on the vision that we were uh,
0: Promoting. As I mentioned, we love the Mac at Apple. We love the Mac, and uh, and we want the Mac experience for every one of our users to be the best it possibly can. And the reason is is because we know that for our users, in many cases, the Mac is their life. Their livelihood is on the Mac, right? And and that is, you know, you've heard you've heard that phrase before. Like, you know, you're not going to take this Mac out of my hands. And uh, and so we know how important the Mac is to our customers, um, and they love the Mac too. And we want it the best. To be, we want it to be the best it can possibly be.
2: When you look at things like the port arrangements, you you know you went with Thunderbolt 4, which a lot of people love. There's HDMI 2.0. How do you figure out the bandwidth that you have for all the connections, and then choose like we're going to go all the way with Thunderbolt? But people aren't really connecting big displays via HDMI. That's mostly a TV thing. So we're going to leave that bandwidth on the Thunderbolt ports. Is that all about the trade-offs or the workloads that you see in everyday life?
1: We start our chips, uh, of course, many years in advance. And so um, the nice thing about some of these I.O. choices are we can can get unified on the kinds of bandwidths and, and set our specifications accordingly. And the system team has a little more time to figure out the exact arrangement. What kind of port arrangements do they want to have? What kind of bandwidths? You know, as long as we are showing up with a chip capable of driving a, a reasonable set, a reasonable arrangement of ports across different systems, I think you know that, that's how it translates for us. I think the, the important choices that the system team makes about that are, comp, are driven by all those great pro uh, inputs we get from the workflow teams, from discussions they have with customers. Uh, from Tom and, uh, and all the work he does in outreach to try to make sure we're hitting the nail right on the head for the pro customer.
2: We now have these new MacBook Pros with everything from you know, 6P cores and 14 GPUs on the 14-inch to 32 GPUs in a high power mode on the 16-inch. You know, talk about your love letter.
1: For both of you, what is your go-to? I am super excited that we were able to put M1 Max into the 14-inch, because I love the portability of the 14-inch. Uh, I, I love that you can pick it up, carry it around, flip it open, do a bunch of work. And the fact that we were able to put that massive computer in there, that is a point of pride to me. It it really is the ultimate love letter to the pros that prefer that portability. You know, I couldn't be happier with how the 14 inches turned out.
0: Well, one of the great things about uh, that system is, and, and I'm not sure a lot of people have realized this, but... Uh, when we introduced these new MacBook Pros, we actually introduced a whole new product category for the Mac, and that's that 14-inch MacBook Pro. If you look back on our history of of the MacBook Pros that we've been offering, there's been quite a distance between a 13-inch MacBook Pro to, you know, years ago, a 15-inch MacBook Pro, and now more recently, a 16-inch MacBook Pro. They're, they've been very different animals, right? This is the first time ever where we have this amazing 16-inch MacBook Pro with these amazing capabilities. And now we have the 14-inch MacBook Pro, which is really just all of that with a smaller screen.
2: I was really tempted by the 14-inch just because of how mobile it is. And when the world stops ending and I can go back to traveling, I think that that is so tempting. But at the end of the day, I live in Final Cut Pro and having the ability to have basically a Mac Pro with Pro Display XDR, all that screen real estate, all those pixels in front of me to work with, to make it my main editing machine, I just I just couldn't turn it away. And when you combine the battery life that you get with the 16-inch, it, it really does feel like a Mac Pro book as much as a MacBook Pro. So I'm all in on the 16-inch right now.
0: Well, we appreciate that too. It's that, that dedication, that passion, uh, that we have for the Mac, uh, hopefully, you know, our users are are experiencing these products, and and you know, these are these are awesome awesome systems. And uh, you know, I personally, uh, having been around quite a while uh, working on the Mac, um, have never been more excited about the future of the Mac.
1: And I have to say, your words are gratifying, and I and I love to be able to speak to folks like you who, uh, who can tell that story so well and. You know, you you are a user. You are an experience. You experience the goodness of the machine. And when you talk about it, uh, I love to bring that back to my team and the and the teams we work with and say, look at the difference you made. Because you're right. There's a lot of our lives that, de- that are dedicated to doing this engineering. We love it. Uh, it's hard work, uh, and it really makes all the difference when we when we get that uh, product out there and the customers start going, "Wow, how do you do it?" And uh, so, thank you for uh, for the kind words. Appreciate it.